Welcome to Growth Colony, Australia's B2B growth podcast. I'm Alex Hipwell. Each episode, we bring you B2B founders, CMOs, marketing and sales leaders to find out what makes them successful and what was behind their failures. Let's dive right in. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode. I'm Shane Hope the Wood X Growth, and today I'm talking to Kate Greenland, Senior Customer Strategy and Innovation Consultant at EY, about strategic paralysis when it comes to marketing strategy and in general strategizing and how to get out of the paralysis loop. On that note, let's dive in. Kate, thanks for coming on the pod. Thanks very much. Very excited to be here. Yeah, excited to have you, man. I mean, I, I really want to dive deep into this concept of strategic paralysis i think it's a i've definitely been a victim of it where you're kind of like strategizing and and marketing does this quite a lot right you're strategizing about the market you're segmenting the market and then you get stuck in that but i'd love to uh i'd love to get your take on what do you what do you think or what do you mean by strategic paralysis well i mean yes you're spot on like we we spend so much time in front of a whiteboard trying to imagine who the customer segment is and you know what the value proposition is that we're trying to deliver to them blah, 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 blah. and i think that's very important you need a plan to go into battle and whatnot but the the thing that has just changed my perspective on this over the last 12 months um, believe it or not is COVID. <laughs> it sounds kind of trite to, to to say that now right but the thing is that you know you saw more change and disruption and adoption of new technologies in a week uh, at the start of lockdown last year and we're talking about you know melbourne australia in particular more change in that week than we did in three five years and like the work that i've been doing at ey is talking about innovation strategy it's talking about the future it's talking about disruption uh, mega trends and we're always talking like five ten years down the track and then all of a sudden this thing hits and everything changes as people scramble to work out how to just operate. And so that's, a, to me, like this great um, example of how constraints really define our strategy. And all of a sudden, there was these constraints that were very obvious and we had to react to them. But those constraints actually exist always. We just don't pay much attention to them and we invent ways to, you know, to fill our time <laughs> and not deal with what the the reality is in front of us. So I think we spend too much time standing in front of that whiteboard, working in teams and not enough time speaking to clients about their business, speaking to clients to understand their story and work with them to help them craft their story, work with them to try and help them understand who they are, what they're doing and the, you know, their ultimate clients or customers or users or stakeholders, whoever it is that they're to serve. Yeah, I think you're right. And and marketers are prone to this, right? Where we, we, as I mentioned before, we sit down and we're like, let's segment the market. Or, you know, even you talk, you talked about, hey, co- talking to customers. I feel like sometimes we do that quite a lot as well, as opposed to getting into the market, you know, and, and, and executing. Why do you think, why do you think marketers are so prone to, to this? Oh, because strategy is easy. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, and it feels like work, you know. It's uh, it's, it feels like you're productive. Yeah, totally, totally. Particularly when you know behind closed doors in your team, and you're nutting out this this amazing strategy, and you're putting probably putting together some 
some documents, maybe a deck behind that. And, you know, if you're working with a client in a marketing sense or if you're internal, whatever, there's always another stakeholder that you've got to, you know, deliver that strategy or articulate that strategy to. So, so much effort goes into the act of strategizing that we forget that it's actually in service of something bigger, you know, some service something else. And the problem is that speaking to people and selling something to people to someone is hard. You know, it's a really vulnerable, challenging act to do. So if there's something that feels hard, but is actually much easier, <laughs> then we'll tend to do that much more. And just our human, you know, our bias towards that uh, easier path will lead to, you know, us focusing so much on strategy. Because at the end of the day, like the strategy is only there if our, you know, instincts or our humanness fails. Then we can rely on, oh God, let's go back to square one and try and, you know, work this out from a cognitive way. But people have been selling things to people for thousands and thousands of years. And there's, you know, kind of no substitute for that hawker in the in the market, grabbing people as they go by and, you know, making them know or telling them the story of why they need this thing and why it's so essential. We get in our own way by doing that because the more tools that we get, the more platforms that we get to put in between us and the customer, the more time we have to spend on actually learning how to operate them and know. Strategizing. Yeah, strategizing. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And I think it's you you touched on it very nicely there. I feel like strategy is safe, right? Like you're not in the market. You're not. um, You're not talking to people. You're not supposed to show results. I mean, your results are what you put you know, you put in your deck and that is, uh, that's safe. You, you don't, you have no external entities that, that are going to disrupt that flow of thought that the perfect flow of thought that you have in that deck. And it's, it's not going to change it at all. And, um, you know, I, I, I love this, this corporate value from, uh, from Amazon where they talk about a buy, you have to have a bias for action. And you have to take action rather than sitting back. And I think it's just so easy to just sit sit back and, and, and think about things and think about strategy and think about how are we going to do this? Now, you know, in, in your experience working with working with clients, what are you have you come across any strategies that you found helpful to motivate whoever it is, whether it's a marketer or somebody else, in order to get into the action phase quicker and faster? Yeah, I mean, look, my whole business chorus is, is essentially here to do that or, or work on this hypothesis around story-driven strategy, story-driven marketing. I'm reticent to call you know, what we do or what I do um, as storytelling because I think that's an overused term, but understanding, crafting, and telling your story is the only way that people understand <laughs> who you are, what you're doing, and why it's valuable to them. And I'm not, it's not an advertising exercise, it's not a marketing exercise. It is a human exercise of, of articulating why you're here and why you exist. And in terms of working with a client, I found if you as you know, a service provider, as a marketing you know, practitioner can understand the client's story even better, be beside them as that client crafts their story, then you have an integral role to play in how they deliver that story to their customers or their clients. If you're coming in from the outside and that's already happened or, you know, or what usually happens is that the client themselves has no real idea of how to articulate what it is that they do or why it is that they do it, then 
you're just, you know, selling them trinkets essentially. But I'm really interested in how to make yourself integral to what they're trying to do. And for me, that access is through storytelling and story crafting. And, you know, my background's a, as an actor and a filmmaker. And so I bring that into the corporate setting. That was amazing. Like I never really appreciated the skills that I developed in that time as a creative, as I did standing in this world, because everyone's desperate to know how to craft their story and even better still tell that story. So if you can capture the imaginations of your clients, first of all, by using really compelling storytelling, but then show that you're able to really help them craft that compelling story in an interesting way, in a unique way to then tell on to people inside their organization, but also their clients, then you're going to be invaluable to them because it is a skill that is desperately needed and sought after um, without people really knowing that that's what they need. Right. So, so let's, let's get into the weeds, right? How, how would I do that in it? Because, you know, sometimes I feel like telling a story just becomes this, this, this really hard thing. It's, it's very ambiguous. It's there, there are factors that are not clear about it. And it, it results in that whole paralysis that, that, oh my God, like it, it just becomes a brute force thing. I'm going to consume all this. I know that's how we worked right at the beginning, early on, where we're like trying to craft a message or a story around a campaign that we're running for our client. And the way we had to approach it was just brute force. Like we would talk and talk and talk to clients <laughs> and, and different stakeholders at their organization to, to maybe get threads from here and there and weave it together and, and create a story. But how, sh- how should I go about it? If I'm, if I'm marker, if I'm business, business exec, whoever it is that is trying to craft the story, how should I go about it so that it's, it's, it's efficient in the sense that, you know, it's not brute force. It's not, I don't get paralyzed again. Right. Yeah. And I can get to that outcome as, uh, as, as fast as possible. And I don't ponder on it too long. Well, let's separate those two functions, right? Like one of those things that you're talking about is the sales of your organization to the other one you know, so getting in the door. The second one is the work, you know, that you're actually paid for, which is more in that that ambiguous storytelling, crafting, creative exercise. The first thing is brute force. You know, it's picking up the phone. It's being present when they're making buying decisions. It's being top of, top of mind when they're looking for help at certain things and being, you know, being that kind of that genie that can know in advance the problems that they're going to face or the, um, the issues that they're going to um, have to address as an organization allows you to be, you know, on speed dial if we had speed dial anymore. You know, that's important as a sales B2B exercise. But the second thing is where craft and creativity comes into it. And yeah, we can get overwhelmed with trying to understand an organization's, you know, hero's journey, um, bringing all those elements together, interviewing everyone and um, holding 50,000 workshops. But at a fundamental level, I really believe that the stories that I'm talking about aren't the big advertising campaigns or the, the big master document that goes out to all the staff saying, this is our new purpose. It's the, the, the language that you use on a day-to-day level with your staff, with your customers. And that's small, you know, that's something that you can help influence from the, from the day one, really. But it takes being able to empathize and being able to connect with, with your clients and understand what their business is. 
So, you know, when they sent an email, when they have a phone call, it's those kind of those phrases that start to work their way into their vernacular that crafts their story, um, develops their, their myth kind of thing. And it, that's just as important, if not more important, than the big marquee message that you send out to the general public. Mm, got it. Got it. And you have, you know, you're, you're a big proponent of, uh, of kind of it, the, the iterative process, right? That allows you to, uh, to get in the market a bit faster. W- w- tell me a little bit about that. Well, I mean, it goes back to action versus um, strategy. And the challenge is like, how can you put action first and work out the strategy after? There's a amount of preparation that you need to do. Um, and look, the thing is, I don't call myself a marketer. So <laughs> so the function of marketing, I see as a separate art in itself. I'm, as I said, from a, a creative, you know, arts background, flowed into design, service design, crafting services, crafting um, kind of organizational strategy. But I can't separate that from marketing because yeah, they're intertwined in, yeah, in so right? many like, ways. The best, the best um, organizations have their marketing function right in with their design, their product design function. Like the, the way you talk about a product is just as important as the, the story that you use or the way that you talk about developing a product and why it's important to develop that product. So um, they're really intertwined. And the beauty of that design background is that design, particularly modern design, it's all about iteration. It's all about putting something in the hands of customers, allowing them to play with it, allowing them to break it, allowing them to to get pissed off about it and, you know, jump on a forum and uh, rip your company to shreds, but being able to then jump in and learn from that and quickly come up with, you know, version 1.2, 1.3, 1.4. And that process can be applied to marketing in that we've got this opportunity to to jump in in front of our customers, in front of our clients, whoever it is that we're telling that story to and develop a relationship over time. Like you and I preparing for this podcast, we've had an email over LinkedIn or we've had a LinkedIn message, an email. We've had a conversation before uh, recording this and now we're sitting down to record. You know, we don't just jump in and record the thing and expect high quality results. It's something that takes learning and takes development over time. And the more that we can close that loop from crafting the story to telling it to the customers and then learning what their reaction is or learning what the sentiment or what the behaviors are after they've heard that message, the more we learn and we more we create that virtuous cycle that we can build upon um, as we go over time. Like nothing is built from day one. So if you're, you're, you're putting off getting into the market, you're just delaying the time that you can use to learn and develop that thing yeah i think yeah you're uh, i know what you mean it's it's all about i don't know it's, it's, if if it's if it was um tyson who said it, it's like everybody has a plan until they get punched in the face yeah and you want to get i used that this weekend actually. what was that you <laughs> did you use it this weekend that's yeah it's it's it's, it's definitely good for in in the consulting uh space yeah i i can imagine but yeah i guess it's the point is get punched in the face as fast as possible and, uh, and, and learn from the punch and, and, uh, and go back for and do a bit of strategy and go back for a second punch and, um, and, and then go from there. Do, do you know any companies or does anybody come to mind that, that does this really well? I think, look, 
they they cop a lot of flack, and this is um, from more recent experience. But government, in fact, learn and iterate super quick, to, um, considering the the size of the organisations that they are responsible for and the services that they are responsible for. You know, people put it into a bucket of these, you know, bureaucracy and um, public services as being inherently slow organisations and certainly internally they are. But their ability to quickly iterate based on, on public sentiment is, is really quite remarkable if you, if you think about it. I mean, just look at COVID as an example, you know, this kind of hyper-focused 12 months that we've had. The way that government has developed their or state government, federal government has developed their message over a short amount of time and then backed it up with different services or different types of interventions, controls that they put into place is so rapid. So weirdly enough, like that's the first thing that comes to my mind when I'm thinking about an iterative process because, you know, there's such a direct and vocal user base that they're serving and there's a whole industry and infrastructure set up for that feedback loop with government through the media, now through social media. So they can, they learn super quick um, what the public sentiment is and how, or like how people are interacting with that service. So that's something like I am, I'm impressed every time that I'm in a government organization to, to, to see that and make sure it's acknowledged because they do think on their feet on a day to day level. So that's kind of it from a, a public point of view. I mean, from a private point of view, you could certainly uh, list off the top, you know, five companies that everyone mentions, like Uber and Airbnb and and now Tesla and kind of some new entrants. But I think that's kind of that's taken for granted now that that that's the way that they operate. Gotcha, gotcha. Yeah, I think I think we we definitely, especially in Australia, we don't give enough credit to the the Aussie government, and you know, like. Just kind we of out to say that to right? Like to give them credit to, <laughs> to compliment them on, you know. <laughs> it's a lot easier to criticize, and we're we're a lot quicker to criticize and uh and not think about hey, this is an organization that's been around for I mean Australia since you know for about 120 years. It's it's a pretty large organization and uh and and the speed that they operate right now is, is quite impressive. Yes, there are definitely inefficiencies in there, but uh, that's a really good example of, of government changing their messaging, changing their, their approach to the market or approach to, to the public. Uh, I love that. So I'll just, oh, there's two others that I, that I thought of rapidly, and they're local examples. So I feel it's important to, to give them a shout out. Let's do it. The first one is Thrive, which is a new AI-driven kind of, small medium business the crowdfunding yeah 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 Yeah, i saw that and i feel you know uh, you have to say because i've been one of the investors in it um through the crowdfunding i'm not like this kind of huge angel investor don't get me wrong but (laughs) i jumped on board this because their message was so strong um from a product point of view and the problem that they're solving and as a small business owner myself like solving this solving what they're solving is a huge benefit for me so you know they've been able to put together a really compelling product around that and then you know it proves in the pudding they've just oversubscribed or they passed one million dollar mark in their crowdfunding and they hit a record it's like two it passed it in two hours and the and the record was like 36 hours or 32 hours or something insane so they're super exciting to see them jump in and um and take on that market 
And the second one is still in, in the finance space, but Up Banking, which is, um, you know, a team in Melbourne. They've- Is that the one that's owned by NAB? No. Uh, they saw that as Bendigo Bank. Okay, got it, got it, got it. Yep. Uh, oh, the NAB's one is like, I think that's the 1080. Um, Maybe. 1080. I, I'm mixing it up, but please go on. Up Bank. Yeah, so they they're a, they essentially started as a software company and I did some content for them a number of years ago when they were working with Bendigo. They've spun off this separate product called Up, which is super cool, super relevant personal banking product. And you just have to go on their website and you see they've got this fantastic, uh, they call it the tree of Up, which is this kind of game-like skills tree or product tree that shows like shows the public, anyone who's interested, the things that are coming in the pipeline of their product roadmap, seeing the, the things, the milestones that they've hit so far and, you know, allows them to tell the story of, you know, where they're going with this and because they're really building a, a, you know, a user base that is passionate about what they're doing because they're, they're just cool and they live up to their promise and they deliver. So you know, Anson Parker and the, and the team at Up are doing an awesome job Um in that space okay all right love it love it all right is there um kid is there anything else that you think we i didn't ask that that maybe the audience will will get value when it comes to kind of iteration moving fast getting out of paralysis when it comes to strategy and and uh, and any kind of uh you know deep thinking work is there is there anything anything that i maybe didn't ask well the thing i've just come from working with a um uh, ag family down in Tassie, one of the Tassie's biggest private landowners. They're looking at how to reimagine their business and, you know, how to make the best use of the, the abundant resources that they have under their, under their stewardship. And a lot of the conversation initially comes around, well, how do we kind of market this? How do we put this on Facebook or Instagram or how do we make it, you know, attractive to people online, which is all valid questions. But what I, reiterated to them is that they they exist in the physical world and we live so much of our lives in this digital world and right now you know we're talking over zoom that we forget that at the end of the day there is a need to to exist in the physical and you know i think it's a bond saying isn't it like there always needs to be someone to pull the trigger you know we can come up with all of these strategies in the digital landscape and there are pure e-commerce or you know digital services that that are you know rapidly growing and and capturing people's imagination and attention but the majority of businesses are in the physical so sometime you need to transition from that digital world or that digital story or that digital relationship and make it a human physical one the problem with, with the marketing it, with us as marketers put myself in that box for a minute is that we've got as billion dollar companies that have convinced us that human relationships are an algorithm that we can get right. And so if there's only, you know, there's, there's the right inputs that we put into the algorithm, then we'll get the relationships out the other end. But it's just not true. You know, we've developed relationships through trusting people, through building trust with people and and stepping up or being, you know, supporting the, the promise that we make for them. And that's much better done in person um, day after day than you know, at arm's reach through a digital platform that they've got no real vulnerability with, you know, that's the way that, that relationships need to be built. And it's the only way that actually built um, sustainably over the long term. That's a really good point. That's a really good point. Okay. Now 
I want to ask a couple of rapid questions. Okay. okay. Trying to give you rapid, um, rapid answers. And yeah, let's, let's do it. Let's go as rapid as possible. And uh, so there, I got four. The first one is, what is one resource? It could be a book, blog, podcast, a talk that fundamentally changed the way you work and live. I'm big into podcasts. My number one, apart from the, the creative ones, is probably Seth Godin. He had one called Startup School. I don't even know if you can still access it anymore, but I think it was like 2012. Um, he recorded a seminar that he ran over a weekend and it, it was like the top 10 business podcasts for like five years. Um, the the way that he explains the relationship between businesses and customers in that has just stuck with me. And, it, you know, it's all about trust and attention, building trust, holding attention. And those two together over time is what leads to success from a marketing sense. Love it. Seth Golden is definitely someone that comes up in in our conversations quite a lot so i i love hearing and there are different pieces of content about him that that comes up so i love that uh, number two if you could give one advice to marketers what would it be just one uh just one. <laughs> pick up the phone i reckon i like that become indispensable have a conversation with someone don't hide behind an email or a digital platform because conversation it builds relationships that's how that's how it works Question number three, what are the influencers that you follow in the marketing or the strategy space? Well, Seth Godin, obviously, and I've continued, like he's got the, the Akimbo podcast, which is nice little bite-sized bits. I mean, he's been writing a blog, short blog for like 20 years or something. I'm sure there's some record. It's a daily blog. So Seth Godin, definitely. And I've been listening to a lot of Scott Galloway of, um, or Prof G. Prof G with the glasses. With the glasses, yeah, probably because he's just, he's such the a dog. The dog, yeah. <laughs> um, it's just enjoyable to listen to. It's kind of like a guilty pleasure. I don't quite know what I get out of it. And I've, I think I've deleted, I've unsubscribed a number of times. Just I'm like, I've got to, I've got to shake this habit. Um, but he does, <laughs> he, he delivers things in a really uh, fun and compelling way. Um, so, yeah, Prof G. But then also there's, there's things outside of marketing that I that I listen to a lot. There's two podcasts, uh, The Hidden Brain and Your Undivided Attention. And it looks at, actually, the Undivided Attention one in particular, um, it's from the Center for Humane Technology in the States. And they're looking at how we can rescue society from the perils of social media and uh, our addiction to it. But from a human behavior and understanding level, it's, they're great podcasts to, um, to dive into the kind of nitty gritty or the, the um, research into those areas. All right. And, uh, and the last thing that I have is, I mean, you kind of specialize in the strategy space. What is one thing that, that uh, excites you about the strategy space and what you're kind of going through today? Well, one of it is what I've mentioned around story-driven strategy. And it's, I've been, you know, I think all actors, especially if you went to drama school, you graduate with a bit of a chip on your shoulder that, that all you are to the world uh, is, is an actor or, or a filmmaker or a creative kind of thing. But I think through my time I've shown and I've learned that the skills of storytelling, understanding human drivers and emotions, being able to see those trends over time as well, like through you know, classic texts and the way that we, we entertain ourselves, the ability to apply those skills to a strategy context is is huge and really desired from um from the corporate world so to speak 
if you can show how well you can craft that story and make it a compelling uh, case for change within and without that organization, then you're always going to be integral to the conversation because we need that, you know, we need those, those skills and beyond just a marketing or an advertising effort. It is like a fundamental human need to understand why we're here doing what we're doing um, and why it is that we're important. So that's certainly kind of the number one. And the, the number two is that, that the number two thing that makes me excited about this space is that it's become so inherently social that we're coming together around problems rather than sitting in our, you know, in our separate boxes in the organization or the fields in which we're, we're living. So people are coming together around climate change or carbon neutrality, coming together around social change um, that, that desperately needs to happen. And it's more about, you know, what we can do together than what I can do for you in this time. And I think the power of the social realm that we're living in now is that that's amplified because we can see through organisations much more, through the people that are within them rather than them being one big monolith that we just, you know, prescribe an identity to, whether right or wrong. It's much more about the individuals driving for change than it is about the organisation. Got it. Got it. No, I love that. I love that answer. Okay. Well, Kate, I really appreciate this. This was uh, this is a great chat. Um, there was a lot of great points that that we talked about, and uh, and I'm sure in in our later conversations we're going to have a lot more to talk about. I'm sure we're going to have a lot more about Prof G. Um, yeah, no, the, to, dog. To about. the dog. The dog. <laughs> Sounds good. Well, Kate, thanks again for uh, for coming on the pod, man. I appreciate it. Yeah, no worries. All the best. Hey, it's Alex again from X Growth. Thanks so much for joining us on this episode. If you enjoyed it, we'd love it if you take a moment to rate us on Apple Podcasts. It would really help get the word out to other B2B professionals. If you're hungry for more B2B content, make sure to join our Slack channel at growthcolony.org forward slash Slack, where we share the latest B2B news tactics, tips, and chat about problems we're facing in the B2B space and find solutions together. That's growthcolony.org forward slash Slack. Thanks for tuning in. We'll catch you in the next episode.